Hello, this is Shannon Silvestro, Literacy Coordinator K-12 for the New South Wales Department of Education. This is the Literacy and Numeracy Podcast. Today I am talking to Dr. Danielle Collenbrander from the Macquarie University Centre for Reading. Hello, Danielle. Hi. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. Um, I thought we might start with you introducing yourself, just a little bit of your background and why you have an interest in vocabulary, which we're talking about today. Okay, so um, I research um, the links between um, vocabulary and reading comprehension, and uh, I come from a speech pathology background. And I've always been someone who loves words and is interested in reading, but when I was doing my speech pathology degree, I kept we kept learning about spoken language and I kept thinking, well, why aren't we connecting this to reading? Why isn't this, um, why aren't these two areas of skill coming together more? And then I started to read more and more about it and discovered that there was research out there basically telling us that um, spoken language and written language are really closely interconnected with each other. And so then uh, that's why I became interested in researching how these connections develop and more specifically, how we can improve spoken language with the aim of improving reading comprehension. So let's start with, I guess, the, the overarching question, why, why we're actually speaking to you today is, why is vocabulary important for reading? So words are kind of the gateway to meaning. If you can't read the words on the page, if you can't understand what the words mean, you can't get any further with your reading comprehension. You can't... Um, form complex propositions, you can't make inferences, you're, you're stuck. So it's absolutely crucial to reading comprehension. And so um, there's a theory called the simple view of reading, which states that reading comprehension is made up of two basic um, areas of skill, your ability to read the words on the page and also your spoken language. And interestingly, vocabulary contributes to both of those things. It, it really cuts across um, both of those areas. So, for example, um, children who have better vocabularies tend to become better readers because, um, first of all, if you have a broader vocabulary, you often have a more fine-grained understanding of the sound structure of words, and this can help you learn the relationships between sounds and spellings. And also, um, once you read, if you come across a word that you're not familiar with, um, like the word tongue, for example, if you try to sound it out, you will come to something like tongyu. But if you know the word tongue and you look at the sentence context, then you can access your spoken vocabulary and go, oh, I think that's probably the word tongue. So that's another way that vocabulary can help you to actually read the words on the page. Um, but of course, um, it also helps us with understanding what we read. So. Um, We've got to have a very good understanding of the meanings of the majority of the words on the page. Otherwise, as I said, we can't put those meanings together to understand complex sentences and to make inferences and to get the general idea of what is in a text. Um, so, yeah, it's very important to all aspects of, of reading comprehension. I, I love that little explanation there because I, I was really getting a strong feeling of like how it all actually works 
Absolutely. together. It's all completely intertwined. Yeah. yeah. And we see that across development as well. So um, children who have better vocabularies become better readers. They read yeah. more yeah. and they understand more of what they read. So they are equipped to learn more words mm. from what they read. Mm. Yeah. And then they get better and better and better. Whereas unfortunately, the opposite can also happen. If children don't have that word knowledge and that reading knowledge, they can fall behind other children. Mm. So these things are all very closely intertwined. And what we really want to do is catch that as early as possible mm. and prevent this, um, it's called a Matthew effect of the rich getting richer and instead turn it into a virtuous circle where we're taking advantage of these connections, mm. trying to help them improve each other. Yeah, so not only is there, there an, an importance, but it obviously sounds so complex. So learning vocab, where do we start? That's a good question. Yeah. It is so complex because it's um, not just about knowing the word meaning, it's also about knowing the written form of the word, knowing what it sounds like. And when you come to word meaning, there's all these complexities. When do we use the word? Um, how do we use the word? How does it connect to other words? Does it have more than one meaning, etc., etc., etc.? Um, so I think the answer is that you need to take all of these things into account when you're teaching vocabulary. Um, so there's one method of vocabulary instruction. Um, it's called robust vocabulary instruction. Mm -hmm. And it was developed by um, researchers called Isabel Beck and Margaret McCown and their colleagues. And in this method of instruction, um, what we aim to do is teach children really rich concepts of word meaning, um, not just definitions, so that they have these flexible understandings of words that they can actually use in context. And at the same time, they learn the spoken forms and they are exposed to the written forms. So you kind of bring that all together when you're explicitly teaching the words. Mm, so you're getting so actually, even though we're talking here about how vocabulary helps us for reading, that there is that reciprocal effect where it, you know, it, it it's also that written vocabulary that that we are also um, improving. Yes, absolutely, and and they they feed into each other. So. Mm. The written form of the word helps children mm. and adults to remember mm. the spoken form. Mm. It, it acts as kind of a, a hook because if you think about the spoken form is kind of transient in time mm. and there's so often we hear a new word and we think we know how to pronounce it and then we see it written down and we go, oh, no, I, I was wrong. So that helps us to just stick that um, spoken form in memory and it can also help us to stick the written form. So there's two sides to the coin there. Knowing the spoken form helps you learn to read, but then also when you have the written form, this helps you to learn to understand, understand. the word. Mm. So robust vocabulary instruction, I know that in, that includes the idea of um, tiered words, T1, yes. T2, T3 words. So that, that's where that comes from? Could, can you yes. explain um, that idea a little bit more? Yes, so um, Beck and McCown and colleagues, they invented this concept of word tiers. Um, so a tier one word is a very basic word that we would expect pretty much everyone to know, like table or horse or something like that. Um, and then a tier two word is a more sophisticated word, kind of a literary word that adults, even adults don't use very often in spoken language. But you come across them in written language, um, like mysterious, for example, or distinguished or something like that. And um, a tier three word is a word like mitochondria or something like so that. Very, very specific, specific to, to yeah, yeah, exactly to particular mm. domain, mm. Um, subject specific. And mm. so 
they, when they were developing their explicit um, vocabulary instruction, they got challenges from a lot of people saying, well, this is time consuming and you can't teach every word. And of mm. course you can't. Mm. That's impossible. There's yes. far too many words. Yes. Yeah. Um, so then they said, well, we think that these are the words that have the most usefulness um, for reading comprehension. Mm-hmm. And these are the ones that um, children just won't necessarily pick up on their own. So those are tier two words. Okay, so that's why we have that focus on tier two words yes. in our instruction. Yes, yeah. and it might be the case that um, a teacher's got some children in her class who don't know some of those tier one words and they might need mm. a bit of extra help there. Um, but then as well, tier three words like mitochondria, for example, for the general average person, they don't use the word that much. But if you're in a science class, then you you would use it. So Mm -hmm. those words need to be taught as well, Mm. Um, but maybe by the subject-specific teachers. Mm. Um, So in every subject, there's a need for vocabulary instruction Mm. and to make it direct. And those words, those tier three words, are often really fundamental concepts Mm. to how Mm. we understand a subject. And so um, they need to be taught explicitly as well. So do we teach kids words that they probably won't be able to read independently yet? For example, like when, when you mentioned that you may have some kids who actually still need to, some support with, with those tier one type words uh, and we might be, fo- might be giving them a little bit of focus on that. But um, at the same time, are we still, are we still exposing them to, to those other, say, say, tier two words that they will see in books, yes. even though they might not be able to access them themselves independently. Yes, absolutely. And I will mm. bring this back to the simple view of reading. Mm. So we've got mm. two basic skills underlying reading, the ability to read the words and the spoken language that helps us to understand. And when you've got really young children or children with reading difficulties, their spoken language is often in advance of their reading skills. Um, But this doesn't mean we should limit their vocabulary knowledge to their reading knowledge when there's two different kinds of reading practice we can do. So there's reading practice, which is to improve fluency and accuracy of your word recognition, which would be at their reading level. But then they can still benefit hugely from being read to and being exposed to those sophisticated spoken words and concepts in a context where someone's reading to them. Mm. And then that just means that when their reading ability improves and they are reading more sophisticated texts, they're ready for that. They know these words and they can access the meaning straight away. Mm, great. So what are the features of a, of a good, explicit, of good explicit vocabulary instruction? So, what do you um, think according to you, you know, <laughs> according like what, to me and your... Beck and McEwen and yeah, many, yeah. Other, many other. What can you share? Um, so, the first thing is that it really does need to be explicit. Mm. Um, so, even for kids who have reasonably good vocabularies for their age, they, they might know a lot of words, but they might not know them so well. Um, they might not understand the nuances of that word meaning. And then, of course, we have children who come to school. Um, whose vocabularies are possibly behind some of the other children and who wouldn't come across those words that much if they don't read independently themselves. Um, So it needs to be explicit. Um, It needs to be very interactive. Children Mm. need opportunities to use the words. Mm. And um, this is really fun in my experience. This is hugely fun. And they're not used to um, necessarily um, just talking about words. Mm. Um, So one... Um, example I can give is uh, for the word conceal. So if you're learning the word conceal, um, you would start by kind of giving them 
a nice clear definition that the child can understand. And that's really important as well because that helps them to access a new concept using knowledge that they already have. So a definition for conceal might be to hide something. Everyone can understand that. And then you give them some examples of the word in context. And then you would play a game. So you might say, um, OK, I'm going to say some examples. And if you think you would conceal something in this situation, then you say conceal. Mm. And otherwise, you say nothing. So they're also practicing the spoken form mm. when they do that. Mm. And then you say, OK, um, what if you're walking down the street and the back of your pants splits and there's a big <laughs> hole? What do you think? Would you conceal it or not? And then they would say conceal. And then you say why? And then they have to give you reasons. And that, again, builds, builds the depth mm. of their knowledge. And these activities are really fun. There's lots of laughter involved. Mm. Um, and even in talking about the words, you're building more of their oral language. So um, it is very rich. There's lots of um, interactivity there. Um, it's also important that there's the words aren't kind of forgotten once you teach them because word knowledge is incremental. We build up the complexity of our word knowledge every time we encounter a word in a different context. Um, and then if we don't use it again, it kind of fades out of our memory. So we need to have... Um, regular revision mm -hmm. and it's better to do shorter bursts of um, instruction more frequently mm -hmm. than to have like one big chunk of vocabulary instruction because they'll forget a whole lot of those mm -hmm. words so you want to just remind them and, and bring it bring them back to the forefront of their memory um, and as I was saying before um, it's really important to teach words with their written forms mm -hmm. so to take advantage of all that interactivity be between the written and the spoken forms and so that when they come across those words when they are reading that they can recognise the words. Mm. And kids really do love learning new words. Yes, don't they, they do. What words to teach? Does that come from a list? Does it come from where, where? Where would that decision be best to come from? So again, it's about the usefulness of words, mm. and that means they should come from things that they're going to learn about in class and the books that they're going to read in class, the subject matter that they're going to discuss yeah. in class. Um, it's always about stuff being really um, useful in context and um, seeing things and words in lots of different contexts. Um, so we, I would suggest and the research would suggest that you get these words from the books that you'll be working with. Um, with the students. Mm, excellent. So what about um, the role of morphology? Uh, I know I'm finding that really interesting at the moment. Why is that important when learning words? So let me start by explaining a bit about what morphology is. Uh, so morphemes are the smallest units of meaning in a language and this includes um, prefixes such as re or un. It includes suffixes such as er like in teacher um, or ing like in mm -hmm. running. Mm -hmm. Yep and also bases, um, sometimes called roots. Mm. And so these can be um, free bases, which are just words as, as we know them, like teach and teacher, they're free to stand on their own, or bound bases um, like spect in spectator, which need to have um, other um, either prefixes or suffixes added to them so that they can form whole words. And there's a very regular uh, they actually add a lot of regularity to the language. So there are rules by which we can bind together different prefixes, bases, and suffixes. And um, this even affects spelling. So for example, um, say, let's go back to the suffix ing, ing. If you add a suffix that begins with a vowel to a word that ends in a single silent e, like hope, h-o-p-e, then you lose that single silent e, and then it's spelled h-o-p-i-n-g. 
So if children know about that, um, yeah, yeah mm. that helps their spelling, mm. it helps their reading, and it can also help them to pick out the bits of words that they might understand to decipher what a word means. Mm. So if we can think again about the word spectator, if they know what spect means and they know A-T-E and O-R, those suffixes, and they come across the word for first the first time in a text, then they might think spect means something like um, to watch or to see. And ator is like somebody that does something. So spectator is probably someone who is watching something. And then they can check this in the context of the text. And voila, they've, they've got an idea of the meaning of the word. Mm. So mm. it gives them a tool um, for working out word meanings on their own, which, and we were saying before, you can't teach every single word that a child needs to know. So mm. we also want to mm. teach them some ways of working meanings out on their own. And this is one way of, of mm. doing that. So when we teach words in the early years when, when children are learning to read versus uh, later on when I guess they're, you know, they're reading to learn and they're using, the, you know, reading you know, in a different way, and what's the difference in the way we might teach? So the fundamentals of, it, of instruction are the same, that you want explicit instruction that's very interactive, um, you want short bursts frequently and all of those sorts of things. But the difference is that with older children, um, they might be, you might be getting them to do some independent reading and then teaching some words um, in depth afterwards, or you might pre-teach some words before they do the reading. But with children who um, don't really, aren't particularly great readers yet, just learning to read, then you can read to them and you can give them the context for those words. Um, and I think we were talking about this a little bit before, um, even if their spoken language is slightly in advance of their reading skills, it just prepares them for what's ahead and makes it possible for them to um, recognise and understand those words um, in the future when they come across them. So I'm wondering about when we're when we're learning words, when we say that it's a it's a good strategy to also be practicing that that written form of the word. Mm -hmm. um, does that necessarily mean that we're learning to spell the words? So when you are um, working with children in the early years of school and they're still in the process of learning to read, then um, as we talked about um, before, their spoken language is going to be in advance of their reading skills. Um, so it would be a bit unusual to teach them a, quite a sophisticated word that has maybe a very irregular spelling and then ask them to try and learn and remember that spelling. Um, what you're doing at that point in time is to try and get them to understand the meaning of the word. The presence of the written form is there as a kind of mnemonic to help their memory, um, but it's not necessarily that they need to know the spelling of that word at that age. At that point, they're focusing on something different when it comes to um, word reading and spelling. When children are older and their spoken language skills are at about the same level as their reading skills or um, they're fluent readers, then yes, then it, it could well be a part of vocabulary instruction that you get them to learn to spell it as well when they learn it. But when they're younger, it's really, as I said, just an aid to memory um, when they learn the meaning. What about kids who, who are better or independent readers? You know, what do they need? How can we further cater for them? Yeah, so I think um, what you can do there is, I mean, uh, kids like that often have a great interest in words mm. and they would love to learn more about words. I certainly would have loved that. Um, and so I think what you can do then is give them more independence and complexity. So they could find 
words themselves. They could read more advanced texts and pick out words that they are interested in learning more about, for example, um, with the words that they are learning, they could go into greater depth. They could look for different synonyms. They could look at perhaps the history or the origin of the word. They can use that in independent writing exercises. So there's um, always a way to enrich their knowledge of words. And of course, you know, we never stop learning words. So even for children who are pretty advanced and know quite a lot of words compared to other children their age, there's still so many more words out there that they can learn, which can again even further enrich their understanding and um, what they can use in their own writing. Mm. And we're always learning new words, even even at, <laughs> even at my age, <laughs> I'm still learning new words. It's amazing. Um, what are your thoughts on assessing vocabulary? So that is a big question. Mm. And I have to say, mm. there's not a lot of, mm. I, I wish I could come in and be like, this is the way you've got to assess. Mm. But my own experiences of assessment, no one test is ever going to do everything you want it to do. So in terms of standardised assessments, um, they're designed to often give you a snapshot of the roughly the number and types of words that a child might know compared to other children of the same age. Mm. Um, so they can be good in a very broad sense, but if you're trying to measure what children have actually learnt, they're not particularly helpful because they wouldn't mm. necessarily contain the words that we've actually taught. And what we do know from lots and lots of studies of vocabulary intervention is that children learn exactly what you teach them and they don't generally, there's no massive flow on effect to new words unless you teach morphology. But uh -huh. mm -hmm. yes, with specific mm -hmm. instruction of specific words, over time they can certainly build up a bank of words and that will probably help them to learn more words because it will help them to understand text more and from that those new texts to learn new words. But when you're teaching words explicitly, they tend to learn the words you teach them. And if those words are not in the test, then it's just going to show that there's been no learning when there might have been learning. So you, I would recommend that you test the words that you've actually taught. And this does unfortunately involve a little bit of work in designing assessments. Mm. Um, so one, it depends also what you're trying to know about what they've learned. So you might want to know, okay, I've taught these words, how much do they know about these words? And then something like a definition task where you literally just ask them to define the words verbally or in writing is a really great task because you get a rich amount of information about what they have actually learnt. But it's difficult to score. Mm. So very time consuming to score. So you need to have a rubric that you use and it is going to take a bit of time. Um, but there are guidelines out there for rubrics that you can use. Um, there's one author, Dorna Duff, who's just released a paper on this, mm -hmm. um, which is actually very helpful. Um, so that's one option. Um, another thing you can do is you can develop your own multiple choice task. And um, these can be quite flexible because you can, you can uh, change up the difficulty depending on how many response options you have mm -hmm. and also the types of response options you have. So if you want to just know in a very rough sense, do the children know anything about these words, you could give two response options, maybe two synonyms, and just get them to circle um, which one is correct. Of course, you do have the problem of chance responding where they just guess. Mm. So mm. then if you have four response options, it means there's less likelihood of them getting it right when they guess, but then it's harder and it's more time for you because you have to come up with come all up. the response options. Um, but that is something that you can do. And then um, in terms of your choice of response options, if you choose um, to provide one of the response options 
that's actually quite similar in meaning to the actual word, it's going to be really hard. And if there's a lot of distance in meaning between the response options, it'll be easier. So there are lots of choices you can make there, but um, definitions generally we would use for um, looking at depth of knowledge and multiple choice, just a kind of quicker assessment of do they know in anything about the word. And if you want a really sort of quick and dirty measure of right. how much the whole <laughs> class has learned, mm, you can actually mm. get kids to rate their own knowledge. So mm. you can do it on a scale of don't know it at all mm. um, up to know it well and could define mm. it. And they can just tick where they are. And you're going to get some kids who don't know what they don't know, of course. Mm. And you're going to get other kids who might just want to say they know it. But on average across the whole class, you'll get a pretty good idea mm. of how many kids seem to know that word. So, Danielle, what are some final messages that you think could be, um, that are important for us? Okay, so um, a couple of things. Firstly, um, as we've said before, vocabulary knowledge is an unconstrained thing. It's a lifelong Mm. thing. You're always building new words, learning new words, building your vocabulary. Um, Vocabulary learning is never finished. And vocabulary learning takes time. And we need to constantly be refining our knowledge. I think it's something that has to be ongoing. It's not enough just to say, well, we're going to do six vocabulary lessons and then that's your vocabulary done. It isn't like that. It's got to go throughout the whole of schooling in every single subject. I mean, in my ideal world. (laughs) Um, It's so important because, as I said before, it's a gateway to reading comprehension. It's how you access meaning. So it's super, super important. But having said that, there is more to reading comprehension than just vocabulary. Children do need to put the words together into sentences, sentences together to make inferences. So oral language as a whole is important for reading comprehension. And it comes back to, again, all those links between spoken language and written language. They are so tightly interconnected with each other. And the discussion that comes with vocabulary instruction and classroom discussion as a whole is in itself a really 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 important learning and teaching tool and if you have those discussions and children are responding to you and they are um, using using new words using complex sentences asking questions thinking about why all of that is feeding into their reading comprehension Um, so all of that is really really important and we always want to remember that written and spoken language skills are so tightly knotted together and we want to turn that into a virtuous circle. Excellent. Thank you, Danielle. I think that that will give teachers uh, a lot to think about um, and some inspiration. So thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you very much. My pleasure. For teachers in New South Wales, if you would like to learn more, look at the links in the podcast notes and visit the Literacy and Numeracy website. Bye for now.